You're listening to messages from Cuyahoga Valley Church in Brunswick, Ohio. If you're looking for more resources or want to get in touch, head to our website at www.cvcbrunswick.org. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your day and help you experience new life in Christ. Hey everyone, I'm Ruth Ricks and I'll be reading from Ruth chapter 1 verses 1 through 18. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man in Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from, the Beth- from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. She lived there, they lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters in law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from that place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on, on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as he has dealt with the dead, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake, but the hand of the Lord has gone against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you this morning. My name is Josh, and I am the campus pastor. If I haven't met you before, I would love to meet you after the service. Well, today we're starting a new series. We're called Redemption Road. We're looking at the book of Ruth. Ruth is such a delightful short story. You know, um, ancient Near Eastern scholars, even non-Christian ones, note that this is one of the most beautifully arranged 
and intricate short stories in the ancient Near Eastern uh, literary tradition. So I'm really excited to, to study this together. You know, this story is a picture of redemption, of restoration, and how no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, I find myself in, it shows us that God's hands are present in the midst of anything you're going through. You know, this uh, story is really unique. I mean, you think about some of the aspects, especially in the time it was written. The moral hero of this story is a woman from Moab, a, a, a tribe that Israel often warred against. She was not ethically Jewish. And um, she's also the one who takes initiative in the twists and turns of this story. And she shows great leadership. You know, this is a great story of female accomplishment and female moral and social character. It's a very uh, modern story written in a pre-modern context. So I'm really excited to look at this book over the next five weeks. Well, this morning, we're looking at verses 1 through 18, where Ruth read uh, for us earlier. And we're talking about living in the moral gray areas of life. We're talking about living, living in the moral margins, because every one of us are in a place, whether in our work, our personal life, with our relationships, our financial life, our digital life, that we often find ourselves at the moral margin. Maybe we're not stepping over and maybe we're not at a place where we know we shouldn't be, but boy, we are right up at the border. (laughs) Well, we're going to look at the story of Ruth and Naomi, set the context for the rest of our series And I'm going to challenge you at the end of this message, we're going to have a time of prayer. And I want you to be thinking about where are you living in the moral margin, where you've shifted in your life over to the edge of disobedience. Maybe you haven't quite stepped over the line, but you're close. So my hope is that at the end of this message, you'll be able to identify an area of your life where you need to move from the margin to the center over God wants you to be for the sake of your own heart, of your relationships, your family, our community, and maybe even the world as we see uh, some of the decisions here in this story. So before we do that, I'm gonna pray and then we'll go ahead and jump right in to the book of Ruth. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, as we sang earlier, you are the redeemer, you are the restorer. And we praise you for who you are and your character. Thank you for your character that we see in this story with Ruth and Naomi. Lord, I pray even now, Lord, your Holy Spirit would be working in our hearts to push and prod where we are living not at the center of your will, but we're at the the periphery. We're at the margins. Maybe we haven't jumped over the edge, but we're close. Lord, you convict us, draw us back to where we need to be. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, there's a lot packed in here in these, two, in these verses, especially at the beginning of Ruth. So let's break this down. Scripture tells us this book is set in the days the judges ruled. Now, that is a time in Israel of about 1200 to 1000 BC where 
there were judges that ruled in the nation of Israel. But this was a period of terrible economic ruin, moral apostasy, religious neglect, and it was just a horrible, horrible season in the life of Israel. I want to give you an example of how bad it is. We see in Judges chapter 19 that there was a Levite, a man who was born from the family where you got the the priests from. He was traveling on a road in Israel and a mob came and uh, uh, wanted to capture him to gang rape him. And this Levite who was traveling with a concubine, whole different issue, gave the mob this concubine. The mob abused and killed this woman. And then the Levite with her body, instead of burying her, cut her into 12 pieces and sent one to every tribe of Israel. Okay, Israel was a dumpster fire in this season of uh, their history. Immorality, terrible, terrible stuff was going on. And this is the context that we find this story. And we see that there is a famine in the land. Now, often uh, God would punish the nation of Israel from, uh, because of their disobedience by withholding seasonal rains. Now, we don't know if that's what God did or this was a circumstance, but we do know that this family who is from Bethlehem, in, in Hebrew, Bethlehem, house of bread, had no bread. There was a famine in the land and they sojourned to the country of Moab. Moab was east of the Jordan River, east of the Dead Sea. And it was a a tribe that Israel often fought against and they were tempted to follow after the people of Moab. Now Moab, they worshiped Chemosh, the God of destruction. Now we see that who will be introduced in a moment, this family sojourned to Moab. Now sojourning means traveling temporarily for a specific need with the purposes of returning to their original place. We see in uh, the history of Israel, this happened from time to time. Abraham uh, did it when there was a famine in the land. But God was always clear. You can sojourn, but you must return. You can go for a season, but always have your heart, your mind, your family postured back to Israel. Because Israel was where you would worship the one true God. It was the gift of God, uh, of, of land. It was where you would have community and you would study the Bible. But we see this family, which we are introduced now. It's uh, led by a man named Elimelech, who had a wife named Naomi, and they have two sons, Malon and Kilion, very popular names for children these days, right? We see that they sojourned, but later in the next verse that they remained there. So here they move from sojourning to remaining there. Now, before we go get too far ahead of us, you kind of can put yourself in the shoes of Elimelech trying to provide for his family. You know, there's a famine, goes east in Moab. Obviously, they found some, you know, land to work, or maybe they worked as servants in a great Moabite landowner. So I think you can maybe cut them a little slack 
But we see that the culture of the family was to live in the moral margins. Was it wrong to sojourn in Moab? No. no. Was it wrong to what Scripture says, remain there? That's where we get a little more clarity from Scripture. No, no. The, the, The call was to sojourn, but to return, not to remain there. In the next verse, we we see that Elimelech dies. Is this circumstance? Is this God's judgment? We don't know, nor does Scripture want us to guess, because it doesn't say. But there is a pattern all throughout Scripture that God does bless obedience, and he does discipline disobedience. Well, Elimelech, he dies, and we see the culture of this family perpetuate by living in the moral margins. See, Malon and Kilion, they marry Moabite wives. Now again, (laughs) is it expressly forbidden to marry Moabite wives? No, it's not. But all the other people around Moab, Moab, the Hittites, the Amorites, all these other peoples, it was expressly forbidden. But the Moabites, they were kind of like um, a moral gray area. I, equ- I equate it to, um, you know, some of you, uh, single folks in the room, and we had a lot of uh, college students the last uh, service. Is it expressly forbidden to date someone, if you're a follower of Jesus, who does not know Jesus? Okay, now the Bible says... We, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not to be unequally yoked. You're not to be married to someone who doesn't know Jesus. Now, does that mean you shouldn't date them? Well, the Bible doesn't expressly say that. But I tell you one thing, it's not a good idea, right? If the end of that road is a brick wall, I'd say either tear down the brick wall, lead that person to Christ before you date them, (laughs) or don't get on that road. Well, that's what we see here. We see Malon, Kilion, they marry these Moabite wives, and live for an additional 10 years in Moab. And Malon and Kilion, they die. Now, again, we don't know, is this discipline? Is this circumstance? All we do know is that the pattern of this family, living in the moral margins, the result is very difficult circumstances. Now, in your life, Something happens, you get laid off at work or you get a promotion at work. Maybe you, your relationship with someone breaks down or strengthens. I would caution you to say, oh, I, I uh, started serving in the kids ministry last week. And then this week I got a raise. God is rewarding me. Or, you know, I... Uh, I uh, was really mean to my neighbor and I didn't help my neighbor out when she needed it. And then I got rear-ended. God is punishing me. We have to, we really have to step away from that sort of mindset where this equals this. If I do good thing, God gives me a, a good thing. If I do a bad thing, he gives me a bad thing. Like some cosmic uh, uh, a quarter machine in the sky. We put the quarter in and the good thing pops out. But... All throughout Scripture, we see God over and again saying this, if you are faithful to me, it will result in blessing. If you are unfaithful to me, it will result in discipline. 
Now, as Christians, we have to uh, uh, zoom out to, with an eternal perspective. But there is a pattern here that we see played out in the book of Ruth. If you're faithful, God will bless now and or into eternity. But if you're unfaithful, God will discipline his people to bring them back to him. You know, now we don't know why Elimelech, well, he was dead, and Naomi and her family and Malon and Kilion, who eventually died, we don't know why they didn't return to Israel. I mean, they were in the Moab for a long time, well over a decade. You know, maybe they intended to move back to Israel. We don't know. Maybe they intended to go back to the temple to worship and participate in the worship of the one true God, to study the scriptures. We don't know. You know, maybe they were thinking, hey, if we just maybe earn enough grain and that maybe that'll sustain us on our way home. Maybe if we just put a little bit more into retirement, then we can pull back and enter back into where God wants us. You know, we don't know. Maybe Malon was on a really competitive travel baseball team, right? Maybe his folks thought, hey, maybe for a season, our family is just going to be all about Malon's baseball. And maybe he'll get a scholarship to to Moab U and it'll all work out, right? Like maybe it's going to be good for our family. We don't know why they didn't return from Moab. We just know that they did it. And the result was widow, widow, widow. So here's God. He brought Naomi to the end of herself, to the end of her rope, took away all of her options. And in the beginning in verse 6, we see Naomi beginning to return to Israel. So we see it, there's irony all through this, this beautiful story. It says, Naomi, she heard in the fields of Moab. She heard from the Moabites that God had visited his people and restored the harvest. And it's ironic because the Moabites are singing the praises of God to this uh, 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 ostensibly God-worshiping woman. So what Naomi does, she goes, listen, Orpah, Ruth, my life is a disaster. I'm at the end of my rope. It's time for me to return. You, You ladies, you go back home. We see this. Naomi says, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each one of you in the house of her husband. Go home, go find a spouse, do everything you can to recover from everything we've experienced. Because these women at this point were incredibly, incredibly vulnerable. Arguably, no one in this room has has ever been as vulnerable as Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. They They were vulnerable in three areas. One, physically. There was no police coming to help. The what protected you as a woman was the threat of your brother or your husband uh, uh, offering retribution if you ever got attacked. That was the law enforcement system of the day. They had, but they had no men to protect them. They were vulnerable economically. 
Men did not correspond with women to develop economic arrangements. Women were not allowed to be in the trade. So these women were allowed to pick up the pieces of grain that the workers dropped, but that was it. And they were vulnerable socially. In this context, it sounds so distasteful in our day, but in this context, women were valued for two things, virginity and fertility. Virginity, none of these ladies were virgins. And fertility, Naomi was past childbearing age and Ruth and Orpah were barren for 10 years. These women's prospects, they were destitute. They looked down the path of their life and they only saw hardship. So Naomi says this in verse 13. When her daughter-in-law say, no, no, we'll stick with you, Naomi. We know you're in a terrible place. She says this in verse 13. No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So Orpah goes, that's a good point, I'm out. (laughs) She returns back to the house of her mother. And then Ruth says, no, no, I'm, I'm sticking with you. And this is what Naomi, Naomi says to Ruth to try to convince her to go back. She says this, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Naomi goes, look, just go back to your people. Go back to your gods. There's nothing for you here. It's plain to see that, that Naomi is not some like sweet matronly grandmother who's going to give you good advice. She has hit the wall in her life and she's becoming bitter. We see in a, uh, next week, Pastor Rick's going to teach on it, where she doesn't even want to be called Naomi anymore, which means pleasant. She said, call me Mara, which means bitter. So here's this bitter, angry, destitute woman. And what happens next is all grace. She did not deserve anything in this moment. But we see that God through Ruth pours out grace on Naomi. Look with me in verse 16. This is a picture of God's love to us. This is Ruth's response to Naomi who says, go back to your gods. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord, anytime you see Lord in all caps, that's the name Yahweh in Hebrew. It is the covenantal, the personal name of God. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Two things are going on here. First, Ruth is making a covenant to Naomi. A covenant is a one-way promise. It says, no matter what you do, Naomi, I promise to do this, to stick with you, to care for you. And we don't see uh, covenants made often in our culture, but what we do see it is on a wedding day. 
See, a, a husband will make a, a promise to his wife, uh, uh, or, excuse me, on behalf of his wife to God and says, no matter what happens, richer for poor, sickness and health, no matter what, I'm sticking with you to pursue your good. All right? And the other spouse does the same thing to the other. You see, Ruth is, is, is making a covenant, a one-way promise to Naomi. And she's doing this to her mother-in-law. Mother-in-law, right? A bitter, angry mother-in-law. All you married ladies. I mean, you think like, ooh, I just want to spend the rest of my life with my bitter mother-in-law. Like nobody's thinking that. It is a gift of grace. And you know the second thing we see going on here? Ruth makes a covenant with Naomi. And second, Ruth gets saved. You see what she says? She says, your God will be my God and may the Lord deal with me if I break this. The Lord, the covenantal name of Yahweh. And I tell you what, this is an encouragement to me because the evangelistic strength of Elimelech, Malon, Kilion, and Naomi, like they were not the perfect God worshipers, but God used them nonetheless. See, when we have family members and friends who we want to see come to saving faith in Jesus, sometimes we go, well, I cussed that time, you know, the last playoff game, like with the Browns and I lost my temper. And, you know, that time I did have one too many beers. And I remember my Tom from work was there and he will remember that. Okay, don't do those things, but God works in the midst of these weak vessels. You don't have to be... You don't have to like sort of walk on water. You don't have to have every answer uh, uh, answerable from the Bible. You don't have to have the best attitude all the time. All you got to be is an open tool in the hands of God to see people come to faith. That's what we hope. That's what we hope we all, in the midst of our brokenness, right? We're on a road to restoration. In the midst of our brokenness, we pray that God uses us to see people come to faith in him, not because of, but in spite of us. (laughs) See, Ruth made a covenant to Naomi and she got saved in spite of, not because of Naomi's faithfulness. You see, this is just the first 18 verses of this story, the twists and turns and the depths of what God's trying to show us. So how are we to apply this part of the story. You see, at the end of the story, I'll, I'll, I'll like a uh, spoiler alert here. At the end of the story, Ruth marries a morally upright and wealthy man, and they have a baby. And Naomi, like at the end of the story, it's like she's holding this baby and she's emotionally, socially, and financially well, uh, well off, and then it like fades to black, right? That's the end of the story. But how do we look to first 18 verses on how to apply that to our lives? I think there are three ways that I want to challenge you and my, as I challenge myself to think through this. First is a question. If you are living in the moral margins, what's holding you back from returning to where God wants you to be? If you're living in the moral margins now, right Now, today, this morning is the time to turn and leave Moab 
and return to the people of God. Right, if you're in a dating relationship, you know God does not want you in. Today is the day of breakup. If you're in an ungodly schedule at work where your family, your faith, and your physicality, your body are pushed to the edges, today is the day to reorient that schedule, a schedule that puts their faith in God and not in performance. If you're in addiction, today is the day to get help. If you're in secret sin, today is the day to confess that sin to someone else and come into Christian community for help. Don't linger in Moab. Don't live in the moral margins. Return to the promised land of God immediately. And I tell you what, we're all in some area of our lives living in the moral margins. So I think that's the first way we can apply this. Number two, Remind, well, we need to remind ourselves, God rewards faithfulness, but be wary to ascribe God's punishment and reward for specific instances. In general, if you are faithful, God will reward you, but we have to zoom out and have an eternal perspective. Jesus Christ was a man of sorrow acquainted with grief, but at the same time, he came that we might have joy in him. That's a paradox. Paradox. It's a quandary, but something we should live within as followers of Jesus. Seeing an earthly, or excuse me, an eternal perspective while living faithfully in this earth. And then thirdly, we have to remind ourselves that this whole series, we are not Ruth, we are Naomi, every one of us. We are not the heroes of our story. The one who made a covenant with us. The one who, not because he needed us, but because he loved us, made a one-way promise to us. Not because he was somehow in need, but he wanted to pour out his love. See, we are Naomi, and Jesus Christ is our Ruth. You see, Ruth made a covenant to Naomi, and it compromised. It cost Ruth her future prospects. But Jesus Christ made a covenant with us that did not merely compromise his future prospects economically. It did not merely compromise his future prospects socially. He gave us his life. This new covenant, as the Bible talks about, it's a new covenant written in blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ offers us a covenant. He takes us into himself at the cost of his life. He dies on the cross, pays for our sins, raised to new life. And the Bible says we cannot wriggle out of his hands no matter how hard we try but he'll discipline us to bring us back to him. See, Jesus was faithful to his covenant to the point of death. Jesus loved us and died for us. He rose again so we could have new life. And this whole story is just a picture of God's love and faithfulness to us. We are Naomi, destitute, weak, estranged, no hope now and in the future, but through Christ, he offers us a new life. And I want to offer you, if you have never put your faith in Jesus, that new life. 
He extends it to you. He offers it to you. He says, you may be at the wall. You may be at the precipice of destruction. It doesn't matter where you are. You are invited into the people of God. You know, I want to close our time with this. I want to invite the team up. I want to invite us all to have a time of inner prayer and assessment in our hearts. See, as I've been preparing this message, there's been areas in my life where I'm like, Lord, where am I living under, at the moral margins? Where am I not at the, where, where is God a, a side dish, not the centerpiece of my life? So the team is going to play, and I'm going to read us a two verses from Psalm 139. And I want to invite you to meditate, to think about these verses and ask God this question. God, where am I living at the moral margins of my life? And I believe during this time, God will lead you in an area that he wants you to adjust so that you could be more in the center of who God is, where God is wanting you to be. So Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. I'm going to read this, and then I want to invite you to have some time of quiet prayer while the team plays. Scripture says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Heavenly Father, as we invite you to search our hearts. Would you lead us in the way everlasting to show us what we've lived in our living at the moral margins. Thanks for listening, friends. If you want to talk about anything that you've heard today, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find contact information and further teaching series on our website at www.cvcbrunswick.org. 